opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Regency Winter. Um, I am Dr. Tabitha Kinlan, and I've been moderating our lovely book groups book group discussion here for a couple months. Um, since we might have some first timers, I thought I would give a little bit of contextual information. Um, we started the group back in October and at the time it was autumn with Austin, um, but you know, autumn is pretty much over. So we've switched to winter. Um, and in October we read Persuasion, which was Jane Austen's last completed novel. And in November, we read Northanger Abbey, which was one of her earlier novels, but both Persuasion and Northanger Abbey were published after her death. So it seemed like um, a kind of a nice pairing to, to read them back to back like that. And we've been taking um, a month to read a book, not because we're slow readers, but even if we were, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we wanted to give ourselves an opportunity to really dive in and, and take our time. We didn't want to you know, spend hours reading a book and then only have like 45 minutes to talk about it. Um, so we've been going at, I think we've been averaging seven or eight chapters a week and we come in and, and talk about those. And um, it's been a lot of fun. So we decided to continue in December, and we're we're staying with the the Regency time period, technically early nineteenth century, but we're coming at it from a slightly different perspective. And we're reading a book called Frederica, and it was written by Georgette Hare. That's H E Y E R, and. This book was written and published in the 20th century, 1965. So it's set in our Austin time period, but written much later. Um, and uh, we thought it would be interesting to kind of, um, you know, come at it from, from a different angle. And Georgette Hare has been praised for her research and her attention to historical detail. Um, and she's going to discuss things, you know, that Austin wouldn't really have to talk about because she, you know, Austin was writing to people who already knew what she was talking about. You know, they're all in the same time period. Um, and Georgette Hare will give us kind of details that Austin wouldn't have had to bother with. So we thought that might be fun. Um, and I have, of course, <laughs> cheat. I've read Frederica already a couple of times. Um, but as I was reading for, for this week, I found myself really paying attention to you know, the differences and similarities. Um, you know, when is Georgette Hare doing uh, you know, something sort of Austin-esque, or when is she doing something that's much more Georgette Hare? Um, just kind of thinking about those, you know, comparing and contrasting. And so I kind of wanted to open the discussion with that question. Um, was there anything that that you guys noticed when you were doing the reading uh, that made you think, oh, yes, I saw Jane Austen do stuff like that, or, wow, Jane Austen would never do that. Um, and this can be anything, you know, um, the, the character descriptions, the way the characters are being developed, the, um, the language, the word choice that Georgette Hare uses, uh, the details, uh, you know, the physical descriptions, anything like that that perhaps you noticed as being similar or, or different to Jane Austen. Um, any opening Do you want thoughts? people to raise their hands? Um, I think we're going to uh, try to keep it kind of, of loose. Um, okay. we're, we're generally a, a pretty good group. Um, okay. 
don't tend to step on each other's toes. Uh-huh. So if you have something to say, go ahead. And, you know, if we get overly excited and everybody's talking at once, um, okay. then we might have to go to them. Um, do you need me to tell people how to unmute and such? Oh, you know what? You might as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to unmute on the PC, it's Alt-A. On the Mac, it's Command-Shift-A. On the landline, it's star six. And on the iPhone app, it is in the lower left-hand corner. There you go. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. This is Peggy. Um, one of the things I really kind of noticed um, was that uh, I thought Georgia Hare used a lot more kind of, uh, I don't know, odd expressions or <laughs> odd to us at least expressions than actually Jane Austen did, which surprised mm-hmm. me. But she uh, she definitely used a lot of these, you know, kind of comments like like pudding headed. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, I'm totally, I am totally reintroducing that into the lexicon, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these kind of strange. I don't know. There, there were a lot of them. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dead boar. Um, I think was one that, that pops up a lot. Um, yeah, joke yeah, is always. Yeah. Oh, it's a dead boar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it seemed like, you know, I kind of wasn't expecting that. I mean, they were kind of amusing, certainly, but mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, I expected that Jane Austen would have had more expressions that seemed, um, you know, different to us or foreign to us or whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but it seemed like she had less of them and, uh, <laughs> Georgette here, more of them, but uh, that was just one observation I had. Oh yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a, a great, um, great thing to notice is that, you know, Jane Austen does seem to be using perhaps slightly more formal, um, I don't know, formal is entirely the right word, but, you know, maybe a bit more polished, a little less, um, you know, sort of casual or um, Georgette Hayer seems to be using some of the the period slang, I guess, yes. you know, a word yeah. for it yeah. than, um, yeah. than, than Jane Austen did. Yeah. Yes. Audio now unmuted alert. A comment, Irene? Yes, go. I don't think we've got to the one where you stick your spoon in the wall. And <laughs> I think I like to refer to that as can't. And uh, uh, yes, definitely. Isn't that an interesting observation? I totally agree that to understand um, uh, what the younger generation, <clears throat> assuming the younger generation are trying to express themselves, then the older generation are absolutely forbidden, especially for women or men in the presence of women are not permitted to uh, say those very odd things. So everybody has a definition of sticking your spoon in the wall? <laughs> That's you do have a, a hand raised? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Cheryl, Cheryl MC, you can unmute. Hey there, I'm new to the group, but I love Georgia Hare. So when I saw this, I had to jump in. I'm so glad. <laughs> the more the merrier. Um, I think... You know, this is just my opinion that, you know, Georgia Hare, because she is writing, she's a different 
era that she's writing. And I think she writes, she writes with a great sense of humor. And I think she's able to take a little more liberties than, and she's excellent in her historical research, but you know, Jane Austen was writing, as you said, during the time and Georgette Hare is not. So she's able to play more, I think, and, and really have fun. And, and that's something I like about Georgette Hare is that she adds humor um, and uh, lightens it. Uh, and, and it's all clean, too. You know, like she doesn't need to. That's why I enjoy her. And, and she's a well-respected author. So yes. I'm great to be. Uh, it's nice to be on this call with all of you. Thank you. Good. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah. And I think that's um I, that's a, a really interesting observation too, that, you know, historical distance can sometimes give people a bit more freedom. Um, but I think it's really, I think this is forming um, an interesting little, um, you know, trio that we've got here. Um, you know, we talked about how funny persuasion was with, um, you know, Mr. Elliot, um, the, you know, the father being so absurd and ridiculous with his pomposity and his vanity. Um, and, you know, just and Jane Austen's sense of humor is so sly and so witty um, that, that people don't always catch it you know, because it's really pretty dry. Um, and, and Northanger Abbey, you know, Mrs. Allen was kind of um, a foolish character as well. Um, and so in some ways, Georgette Hayer can, um, you know, can be seen, uh, you know, sort of imitating some of that little, that little, some of those little sarcastic moments um, that Jane Austen has. But then, yeah, she does have the freedom to perhaps use that more, um, you know, slightly earthier language perhaps than, than Jane Austen might have been comfortable using and, um, you know, writing to, for nobility and stuff to read in her time period. May I make a comment? Yes, please. This is Chanel. Um, I just wanted to say, I, this is an interesting um, discussion. I think, though, I prefer Jane Austen's style. <laughs> I mean, I love um, Georgette Hare's humor, especially, you know, the part with the dog. And just, I love um, how, you know, at first, um, oh, the, I'm for, blanking out on his name. The Marquis is presented as, you know, so unapologetically disobliging. <laughs> and then yes. you get to know him later. Um, I was going to say, but I'd almost rather deal with Jane Austen and have less historical explanation because half of the stuff I can't really imagine or picture anyway, than you know, Georgette Hare's kind of, I mean, her historical research is great. You get exposed to some aspects of that time that you wouldn't otherwise with Jane Austen, but otherwise, um, I think I still prefer Austen. <laughs> Well, but I do I'm, agree. I'm not going to try to talk you out of that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I do love the fact that it is clean. I mean, you just so many, even other authors that write historical fiction, you know, I was afraid, oh no, all these are going to be romances. So it's going to be dirty, but oh, so no. far, you know, it's been very clean and I'm, I'm agree with the previous commenter. I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll, spoiler. It stays that way. It stays clean. <laughs> don't worry. Um, I, I'm personally not a fan of the, you know, the histrionic bodice rippers. Um, so yeah, I, I would never suggest anything like that. Um, this is Sally. I haven't read Austin in quite a while. I just joined the call last week, but I 
had never read Georgette Hare, and I really found myself enjoying her immensely, especially the Marquis. He is so sardonic and so acerbic. Um, he, he, her comments remind me, her, um, if anyone knows D. E. Stevenson, especially in something like Miss Bunkle's book, um, it's a comedy of manners, but it's funnier. I think, than Jane Austen. And I, I'm really enjoying it. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think that um, you're part of, even if you're not interested in the historical detail, um, you know, Georgette Hare does give you some, some pretty comic moments there. I mean, with the, the dog um, attacking, quote unquote, the children um, who, you know, end up loving him. And um and the way that Frederica and the uh, um, the Mar- Marquis are, are, you know, obviously hitting it off rather well, um, and the way he's getting sort of drawn into um, to their family, and um, you know, all of the the little scrapes and escapades you see lying ahead there. Um, which, yeah, I mean, she definitely has kind of a, a lighter touch, I think, um, than Austen, but. Um, what do you think about the the characters? Um, you know, so we love, I think, probably um, Vernon Alvestoke, um, who is, um, you know, kind of kind of a stereotype <laughs> of the, um, uh, you know, bored with the world, filled with ennui, long suffering uh, nobleman there who, you know, is uh, waiting to be roused out of his um, his boring lifestyle. Um, and, uh, you know, Frederica and her assembly, you know, little regiment of, of siblings, any, any thoughts on any of them, how they're being developed or described? Yeah, this is Chanel. You have to admire Alverstoke. Just, I mean, with the patience that he puts up with his family, it's like, (laughs) my goodness. Um, And I'm sorry, I do enjoy historical detail, just not so much on the scenery. So that was my clarification. (laughs) Um, But no, I enjoy historical all, but yeah, Mm -hmm. anyway, but um, it's Frederick is kind of an interesting character to you really don't I read a little bit ahead you don't get to know her more fully until you know a little bit on but yeah. mm-hmm. I, I this is Peggy I I thought the um uh the Marcus Marcus's sister Lu, uh, Louisa I guess it is uh, I thought she was very Austin-ish I mean it seems like there's plenty of characters like her I mean she, and like we we mentioned she's a little bit like uh you know, Mr. Elliot and, and, and those, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, George Hay riffing a little bit on, yeah. on some of the yeah. things that, that Austin did, but, um, yeah, yeah putting her a little touch on it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny when I, when I first read Frederica, um, you know, when I was hunting around for a narrator that I liked, um, I was kind of surprised that, I think most of the versions I came across were narrated by men. And I was like, well, why is a man narrating a book called Frederica? You know, shouldn't it be read by a woman? (laughs) But but then once you start reading it, it, it is in large part, um, you know, so far at least, right. It's, it's mostly Vernon Alverstoke's book. Um, We don't really see a whole lot of Frederica. Um, but she cracks me up how she keeps telling everyone that she's 24 and so old, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Like, okay, dear. (laughs) One of those historical details that if you were 24 and unmarried, you were definitely an old maid, right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, which is is true. And and it's funny because as it, you know, people are kind of trying to talk her out of it, but, um, you know, she... She's kind of right. She's uh, only a couple years longer than younger than Anne Elliot, who was our um, old maid protagonist. Yeah, yeah. So. I do find it fascinating how many types of carriages they have and <laughs> the names for all of them. It's like I think you could start like a little um, <laughs> uh, cheat sheet there with all yeah. the names of the different ones. But uh, yeah, and I can't even keep them all straight. <laughs> I yeah, actually had, yeah. um, when I was teaching Northanger Abbey, I had a student write a paper um, where she compared different characters in Northanger Abbey to different kinds of carriages. And you know, oh. so it was almost like thinking about, um, you know, like what kind of car would, you know, somebody mm-hmm. drive in the, the 21st century? Um, what kind of carriage would they have? Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I some of them were quite dangerous. I think um, towards the end of, of chapter seven, um, he wants to take out his um, his new horses um, in his high perch phaeton, which I believe yeah. was basically just you know a couple of wheels and a seat, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. a bench. Um, and and so there's you know, and even in Austin we have references to you know carriages overturning um, or not in the case of Northanger Abbey. Um, you know, we, we didn't have a carriage overturn um, and, you know, that's robbing Catherine of a chance to meet a potential hero, but you know, <laughs> um, it turned out all right. So, um, yeah. yeah. Now unmuted alert. And comment. Yes. There were some really good horses <laughs> and the object of the exercise when you want to, uh, I think, was he in the Corinthian club? Uh, those are the ones that did that race uh, every year or every month, was it? Uh, but the object of the exercise, if you were going to take your horse, you wanted the high perch station at um, Hyde Park. I rode in by Hyde Park, by the way. Mm. There, was no car- there was no carriages there, but they have a rock and roll, it's called. And so everybody was out on um, the, uh, Sunday morning with whatever horse they could have to uh, show off the, the quality of their riding, especially along Rotten Row. And uh, so if you're going to ro- take a horse into Hyde Park, then you wanted something that was a high stepper. That's where the Hackneys came from. It's a, a part of the, t- a part, it's um, a suburb of London. But if you wanted a horse to do the race, I believe it was called Corn Hill, then uh, what the, um, Marquis uh, was always looking for was w- a horse that would move out and cover the ground rather than uh, a very showy raising of the front legs. So uh, uh, Jane, uh, 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 one of Georgette Hayer's most important factors is that she understands, I think she uh, ra- was raised with horses and she understands the quality of the horse uh, tells you what kind of a person that you're dealing with. Yeah, and I read a couple of her novels, and they're um, the the main male characters are generally pretty horse obsessed. And um, I don't think she wrote a book without the word 
goer in it. They're always talking about the horse being a good goer. Um, and actually, I think that John Thorpe in Northanger Abbey, you know, because he was obsessed with horses and carriages and um, definitely pinned part of his self-worth <laughs> on um, on his equipage. Um, I, I believe that he did say something about a goer. And I was like, oh, that's, look at Austin. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and um, I think you know, it's interesting that, you know, all of those sort of, um, you know, details of, um, you know, the, of, of kind of things that, you know, the men would stereotypically and probably were, you know, the only ones allowed to be interested in at the time. Um, Georgette Hayer kind of perhaps has more freedom to, to talk about, too. Um, you know, so she, uh, I think, oh, gosh, I don't actually remember if it's this book or another one, but um, she has someone who is a really good boxer and, um, you know, he frequents a, a gem that were, you know, men, obviously, <laughs> um, practice boxing. And, um, you know, she, she talks about the, the horses and the carriages, um, and in detail. Um, so it just might be that she, you know, was able to kind of dig into that stuff in ways that Jane Austen, you maybe wasn't even interested in, or, you know, maybe she heard about these things, but didn't really, know a lot of details because she was a woman and and of course she wasn't I, I don't know oh, I'm trying to think how often she went to London um maybe just a couple of times if that um, I can't remember um but I you know George Hare, Georgette Hare would probably actually have more access to um uh, you know and a, a resultant deeper understanding of of London in the time than Jane Austen might have, um, you know, you know, virtual tours or Google Earth for Jane Austen. She's audio now unmuted alert. Yeah, the one you're thinking about is Regency Buck, and uh, it was Peregrine and Judith, and uh, the yes, I think the main amount of um, boxing took place at Gentleman Jackson's in uh, London, so uh, it wasn't. Uh, a, a major uh, uh, spectator sport for men in um, in the provinces. Eh? Yeah, just maybe a, a London-centric thing. Personally, I don't really understand the allure of boxing. It's just hitting people, which doesn't seem very nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> I taught my nieces to box. Sorry? It's Cheryl. Yeah. Um, I want to say that when we were talking about characters and the more we read Regency, the more the they become more familiar, the hierarchy, mm. because even if in different authors, they're going to have in there a lot of the same uh, hierarchy that's in there or these gentlemen's clubs or or the, you know, the different things that they do. So it's that's what I enjoy have enjoyed over the years with Regency that. I get to know, oh, okay, I know what that place is. And because the good, some of these good, the good authors who write Regency stick to those facts. So they're, they're, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, they're, that, that's why it's historical fiction, you know, because they're adding these historical facts in. So, you know, like, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Jersey, um, you know, mm. she's in a lot of authors' books, or, yeah. Or you know, so it's a lot of that. That I use her as an example, but just you know, that that that's the way that we get to know them. And and of course, reading Georgette Hare, we 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 hear this over and over. But 
you can go into other authors once you're in the Regency and hear a lot of this. You'll 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 avoid like you go don't go into it cold. I should say, you know, you go into it knowing. Oh yeah, I heard that before. I find it very interesting. I love the historical part of it. Okay, well that'll pass. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's uh, a couple interesting points there that you raised. Um, you know, I love when uh, when Vernon is having his first conversation with Frederica and she's explaining to him her scheme to introduce Karis into society, um, you know, to find her a good husband. Um, and he he suggests that they go to someplace like Bath. Yeah, <laughs> I did. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so we're all like, yes, she can go and be friends with Catherine. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine from Northanger Abbey, she could use another good girlfriend. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Emphasis on good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought um, it it seemed like um, in Frederica, they are kind of, um, you know, talking about the... Um, uh, you know, uh, the Marquis's um, agent or, or secretary, whatever. And it seems like, um, you know, and, and making a real sort of character out of him, um, Charles or whatever his name is. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't seem like Austin does as much of that, you know, talking about, you know, sort of that other class of people or whatever. The Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a really good point too and you know also to Cheryl's point about the the hierarchy and yeah. you know the different peoples and the different classes and how they get um treated and um I've, I've I think I heard somebody present an academic paper on um Austin and sort of and servants and in persuasion um you have Anne Elliot going to visit her friend you know Mrs. Smith uh yes <laughs> um and and I think it's her, um, the visit where Mrs. Smith tells her all of the, you know, the secrets about her cousin, um, Anne's cousin, uh, the other Mr. Elliot. And, right. and Mrs. Smith asks her, did you notice who opens the door for you today? And Anne's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, why would I notice this? And we love Anne, you know, Anne is, is yeah. wonderful and lovely and, yeah. and we adore her, but you know, she, she doesn't take notice of the servant because, you know, she knocks the doors open and she goes in. Um, right. She doesn't really pay attention. Um, so uh, yeah, scholars like to, to talk about the, the way that servants are, are represented um and uh you know austin does give us some characters from different classes you know so we do have mrs smith and mrs clay in in persuasion and um uh you know in in other books like emma we have um uh you know miss bates who is um you know a genteel poverty um spinster um so we do have some of those people but um again that you know, the, the lapse of, of historical years might give George Hare a little bit more freedom to... Right, to talk about the, the yeah. servants or servant class or whatever, or the yeah. working class, I guess, whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's um, the, the emerging middle class. Um, yes. And yeah. I, you know, because Charles, I think they say that he's like the sixth son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, what are you going to do with, um, you know, you can't put them all in the, the army or the Navy or whatever, you've got to farm <laughs> yes. them out somehow. So, you know, being right. a tutor or, um, you know, a, a, a secretary to, um, to a nobleman might be 
a decent way of, of making your living without going into trade, you know, cause we, we do see that, um, you know, trade is, is, you know, not something that anybody wants to admit to. So yeah. The, the aunt that she thought yes. was going to launch, you know, is, is, is just not, and pick the wrong part of town and, and, you know, because, you know, trade people live there. <laughs> I love how, you know, Georgette, I mean, she makes up the name for this, this aunt, uh, Scrabster. Now, doesn't that sound like a totally horrid <laughs> name and a horrid, just, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I feel like some of her names are a little Dickensian. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got these mm. really bizarre sort of revealing um, names. And, and she really, you know, the characters pay attention to names too. I mean, we get Frederica explaining the names of her and all of her siblings. Um, so it, it right. you know, it's something that she clearly gave thought to. Um, Even the dog's name, we had a big explanation yes. about. <laughs> we had an origin story for the name of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I like how it kind of references previous works in history. You know, the, the dog came from some legend or the, um, the whatever the lake. I think it was the Lady yeah. of the Lake. That's not yeah, a legend. I'm sorry, that's a poem. I. Ugh. Well, or I, the Piss and Boots thing. I've never read yeah. it. Yeah, Piss and Boots, that's right. I don't quite remember what that's referring to, but just I like how she draws on previous things. Yeah, it's sort of, um, you know, letting us consider expanding <laughs> our horizons, but but showing um, sort of an engagement of the characters, which I always think is, is nice. Um, I, I think it's always really fun. Uh, in, you know, a nerdy kind of way to know what characters are reading, you know, because what books we like, it really says something about us. Um, So when authors take the time to think about what kind of book would this character read? um, I mean, we certainly saw that in Northanger Abbey (laughs) with um, how important your choice of reading is. And if you immerse yourself in Gothic novels, um, what's going to happen? And, um, you know, and an interesting uh, thought is um, in Jane Austen, how significant and how well developed are the children characters like um, the 12 year old Felix? Um, do we have any children at 12 years old? They were all on the sidelines in uh, Persuasion. Um, and there were, aside from Catherine growing up, with a brief understanding of that. Uh, but Felix ha- is moving to play a very central role in this book. <laughs> Since you've read this before. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's, that's another, um, you know, another sort of group of people that Georgette Hare uh, focuses on to a, a much greater degree. Um, Jane Austen really tends to limit herself to, to the, the grown-ups. Um, I think Catherine is her youngest heroine. Um, Marianne might be close in age from Sense and Sensibility. I can't remember exactly how old Marianne is. But of course, you know, in Sense and Sensibility, um, Eleanor is the oldest and then Marianne and then Margaret. And, you know, we hardly ever hear, um, that's a great point, we hardly ever hear very much um, about what happens with Margaret. Um, so Jane Austen's novels, I think, are very much sort of those courtship novels where they focus on the the main male and female characters and how they are going to, um, you know, neg- um, negotiate and navigate their ways through the 
um, the rigors of courtship to achieve that um, ostensibly <laughs> happy ending. Um, and, and everybody else um, tends to be kind of um, on the sidelines. Um, and uh, yeah, even Catherine's younger siblings, um, I think we only know the names of a couple of them. Um, I mean, there are 10 children in all, so she probably didn't want to come up with names for all of them. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good point. But um, Georgette Hare is um, you know, really making, developing all of her characters. And you know, if she introduces somebody, that person is probably going to be a fully formed character. I'm not criticizing Jane Austen for that, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, I mean, nobody's perfect, but Jane Austen is, is pretty close in my book. Um, but, but yeah, it is, um, it is nice to read uh, well-developed children's characters outside of a children's book. <laughs> um, that does seem kind of uh, rare to me. Um, and uh, yeah, Felix is, is a little charmer. In the least, it's a nice diversion from the romance, you know, going to balls, so-and-so's out to get so-and-so, and then you have these children coming up who are, you know, more engaged, just get into all these scrapes, and it's kind of more more amusing in a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the, the constant, um, yeah, if it was nothing but description of ball after description of ball, <laughs> I think that would get pretty tedious. Um, you know, there's really only so much of interest that happens, um, with people milling about and dancing, um, can't, you know, there's a limit to the mileage you can get out of that. I think, um, just what do you think of, um, it, again, that, that first conversation that Frederica has with, um, with Vernon, where she is so very upfront about what she's after, um, you know, she wants a husband for Karis, for her sister. Um, does she see, how does she seem to you as, as a character or um, our main character there? Is she, um, you know, as some, oh, I can't remember. Somebody pointed out, we don't really get to know her um, very well in these first seven chapters. We have a couple glimpses of her, but um, any thoughts about her so far, about her forthrightness? <laughs> Yeah, I guess I tried, I was trying to figure out, is she just extremely naive and just think <laughs> she should blurt that stuff out? <laughs> you know, not try to um, uh, dress it up a little? <laughs> or or is she just figuring she's only got one shot with him and she better, you know, come to the point? I, I wasn't quite sure, but it was almost like, boy, is she that naive? It's like Catherine kind of, you know. <laughs> But you have to admire how industrious, you know, how well she uh, takes care of her family. And I don't know. I, I just like that part. I think like I appreciate, you know, her. She does have, you know, common sense and she is out, you know, but she does talk a bit too much. So <laughs> that's, yeah, my first thought. <laughs> well, it, it's it's actually very good to see a woman in, in, in kind of the, the you know, um, sort of a leadership family leadership role you know that uh, is, is pretty upfront there in the book so that's kind of reassuring and i think that's a really it's irene that's a really important point that uh, vernon has never aside from his sisters who are always just 
pestering him for money. <laughs> I know about the family. And uh, so um, he has never encountered uh, a woman of uh, that um, social level who is um, willing to, um, without any tact, tell him what she thinks of him. It doesn't happen in his, and I've seen that, yet everybody's toadying up to the extremely wealthy, good-looking men. And, you know, I've been in a lot of social situations where the man with all the height and all the wealth and all the uh, looks uh, is the one that the whole crowd just goes, you know, in that direction. And uh, this is something that Vernon has never encountered in uh, his uh, women in his social class, more or less in his social class, that treat him like this, talk to him like this. Eh? Yeah, he's, um, Frederica definitely has the, the novelty factor and um, and the whole family to an extent, you know, even uh, when he first meets Karis and he is, you know, like everybody else, just blown away by how amazingly beautiful she is. And he is accustomed to all women, you know, regardless of their beauty, sort of falling over him. And neither Karis nor Frederica seem that impressed. You know, Karis just leaves. <laughs> she just, you know, she doesn't um, hang around and try to flirt with him or anything. Um, and, you know, fortunately, he, he makes it clear he's not interested in her, which is good. Um, but uh, the, yeah, the whole family seems to be um, a novelty. And I guess sort of one of the excuses for Frederica's, um, yeah, either the night, you know, her being so naive or so not entirely properly forthright sometimes is that she and her family are sort of outsiders to this. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis in that, you know, initial sort of presentation of their family history, um, on the remoteness of their situation and how they had sort of a very limited society. They weren't even close to a watering hole, you know, so they weren't close to, to Bath or, or Tunbridge Wells or any, you know, sort of resort town where, where they could, could meet people. Um, so even though they know the basics of, you know, politeness and how to function in society, it, you can kind of tell that Frederica doesn't, quite know every single one of of the little nuances um and of course you know it's glaringly obvious when she ventures out by herself and doesn't have a maid or a footman to attend her walking around london which um you know even at her uh you know immense age of 24 <laughs> uh, is, is just not proper at all um so so I think it's kind of interesting for us as readers who, you know, we are also outsiders. We have, none of us lived in Regency London, um, unless some of you are secret time travelers, in which case, please explain how that worked for you. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of are coming at this um, in a way, uh, you know, fresh and new, similarly to, to Frederica. I feel like I started talking just as somebody else was going to say something. So I'll stop now. No, I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, we've heard from a few people. Is there, um, has anyone been sort of, um, you know, hanging out in the background, um, waiting, waiting for their turn? Feel free to, to jump in. Everybody's okay. <laughs> All right. So make sure that everybody gets a turn. I don't want anyone to, to feel left, left out. Um, 
Um, this is Sally. I just have a question about Georgette Hare. How well was she accepted during her lifetime? Um, was she you know, considered literary? Was she considered, you know, women's fiction? Um, so, you know, my my expertise is is really it stops when Jane Austen dies. <laughs> um, okay. so, um, it's my understanding just from, you know, a little light reading and what I've picked up on um, and, and anyone else who is, um, who knows more, please do chime in. It's my understanding that she was never quite considered, um, you know, sort of literary establishment mm-hmm. um, that her books were sort of, um, I think she more or less invented the idea of the Regency romance, kind of this, um, she did. you know, updated yeah. courtship novel um, and other authors have subsequently followed that model to, um, I think generally, you know, lesser degrees of success and, you know, with the bodice rippers and, and all those. Um, and, and to my knowledge, everything I've read by Georgette Hare has been quite clean and, um, you know, everyone uh, minds their, their P's and Q's and uh, a comment, Irene. Yes. And I don't believe, Oh, go Go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I don't believe that she gave interviews and she guarded her private life. So it's, it's hard to know very much about her, but she wrote a tremendous amount of books, especially, you know, she was very popular even during wartime when there was not a lot of paper. Mm. Yeah, I think she, her first novel, I think, um, I think Black she Mom. wrote it when she was like, yeah, the Black, when she was like 17 or 18 or something like that. So um, mm-hmm. she was rather precocious. And she also did, um, actually, my introduction, my first Georgette Hare was um, Behold, Here's Poison. So it was a murder mystery. Um, and I didn't even know about the Regency books until yeah. Um, yeah. later. Yeah, my understanding, this is Irene again, my understanding of it was she wrote uh, The Black Moth because her brother was uh, ill and she wrote it to entertain her brother when he was ill (laughs) and so that ended up getting public but what apparently Jane or um, Georgette Hare was most interested in was historical non-fiction so what is the one about my lord John she was writing that one uh, and attempting to um, uh, get all she had all the historical facts together and she was really, I think it was a 13th century um, uh, story. And um, the, the, the murder mysteries and the Regency books were selling so well that her publisher um, uh, persuaded her, it must have been a large amount of money, persuaded her to uh, give up uh, the, the real history book for uh, writing uh, the stuff that was really selling. And if you go through, I've done it, if you go through YouTube, most of the books that uh, Georgette Hayer wrote, uh, in the, uh, they were in the 40s and 50s, and I think on into the 60s, they were all turned into movies in, by the BBC. So uh, she was, uh, her, her Regency material was very popular, but I think her murder mysteries were more popular, but what she wanted to write was... Um, uh, to become a historian mm-hmm. and that um, she was making too much money with the other stuff. So the publishers pushed her to, uh, to uh, write the uh, murder mysteries and the Regency books. Did she ever write any mis- or history then? Yes. Uh, my Lord John, uh, apparently it was revised after she died, but she had most of it. You know, it's like one of those ones like Suzanne that she had the most of it put together 
And uh, I believe there was one before that that was pure history. And oh, wow. uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, look them up. They're all available. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do prefer the Regency period. So I tended not to get too enthusiastic about the, uh, the uh, 13th and 14th century, you know, that War of the Roses. Uh, Lots of horses, though. I like the horses. <laughs> <laughs> and the murder mysteries were very popular. Who's the one? Uh, Murdoch. Has everybody read Iris Murdoch? I have not, actually. A, no. Yeah, she was a, a pre, uh, that kind of uh, murder mystery thing. Yeah. Hair was uh, before Iris Murdoch and, and all that popularity of that type of book. Eh? Um, just out of a uh, sideline. There's a very good movie about Iris Murdoch um, called Iris with um, Judy Dench, and I forget who plays her husband, John Bailey, but it's when she begins to get dementia. Mm. I remember hearing about it. Cheryl, hi. Um, I think when with with Jordan Hare too, she was more respected, you know, later. Um, if you read if you read other authors in the Regency books, many of them in introductions mm-hmm. or with the right there, the many, many uh, uh, will quote or it talk about some of their first books were Georgette Hare. And I think it set, set a pre- precedence for, for some of them wanting to be more factual, making sure they got their facts right too. So that's my insight into, you know, when I'm reading, I can't think, don't ask me those authors off the top of my head because <laughs> I could tell you, but I, I know I, I've just felt the respect from so many other authors about Georgette here. And that made me admire her even more when, when I was reading her. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really that's good point. People, um, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? So if she inspired mm-hmm. other people to, uh, not only become writers, but also to pay attention to historical accuracy. Because um, I honestly don't read a whole lot of historical fiction because I, unless I know the time period, um, because I, I don't like to not know if I'm getting accurate information or not. <laughs> you know, so if I was reading, um, you know, something in the 13th century. Uh, I, I might not know if all of the characters were, um, you know, quite behaving the way that they would have done in the time period, or you know, if the the recounts of the the battles are are accurate. And um, you know, I, maybe I'm just being a little pedantic to care about those things. But um, you know, half the time I'd rather just read the nonfiction, so I know I'm getting what actually happened. Um, I guess, you know, for this is Cheryl again. I think um, for me, what, what has helped me that uh, it, it prepared me more into fic- some certain fiction. And it also made, uh, made me inquisitive where I would go mm-hmm. and look up things, you know, research them. And, and it really helped with conversations with my husband. He wasn't reading the books, but yet we had some really great conversations because I'd have to look up and say, oh, is that true? Oh, my goodness. You know, just about how the oldest son gets this, the middle son and the youngest son. I'm like, and how do these boys get along throughout their life knowing that this is their lot in life? You know, so it's just simple, you know, little things like that that aren't really little back in in that in that um, 
way of life, but it really, I find it very intriguing. So that it's made me more knowledgeable because I wanted to find out more. Is this really true? Yeah. Well, as <laughs> so, a former teacher, that, that warms the cockles of my heart. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be learning stuff all the time. <clears throat> ten, 10 more minutes. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's a great point too, Cheryl, about, um, you know, those, those little details, um, you know, about law and, and inheritance and that sort of thing. And we get a, a quick little lesson um, in, in Frederica, um, where she's talking about how the father left no will. Um, yeah. So, you know, all of the money is going to go to the eldest son by default. Yeah. Um, But then she and uh, Karis have some money from her mother's fortune was settled on them. And, but she talks about how, you know, she could, she and Karis could become a burden to, to Harry. um, Mm. And, um, you know, if if they don't marry well or, um, you know, whatever. So she. Oh yeah. And there's one more thing I'd like to say. What I, what I have found wonderful about this is as I've read over the years, because my husband loves to read, Civil War stuff. And so it just taught, you know, so many things when you re-watch movies, no one ever talks about the, uh, you know, where are all the the you know, where do they go to the bathroom and stuff like it's somewhere and that the streets of london and how bad it smells and this, yeah. you know when you really get an author who gets into some that's like oh my gosh they're not all walking around in fancy dresses and they don't have to go to the bathroom ever you know? so <laughs> i mean, i you know just when you think about it when they i it made me think like oh yeah there's all these horses what, what's happening there you know mm-hmm. so really when you think of london back then there it was there was a lot of this this uh upper crust kind of thing yet there was a lot of uh unpleasant odors back then too so yeah how did they all stay in their fancy schmidt did somebody lay something down on the street for them to walk on because they always make it seem like everything is so clean and, and in reality we know it really couldn't but that's what opened my eyes huh wow you know just another one of those reality checks so yeah it was. Okay. I don't want to go down that road, but I guess. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I think it was the the book that um, that I that I was reading for kind of a ridiculously long time, um, "The Woman in White" by Wilkie Collins, which was a 19, you know, sort of mid to late 19th century. I think I can't remember when it was published. Um, I think the middle of the 19th century. Um, but he actually does mention sort of the London fog and um, you know, sort of the some of the unsavory um, bits. So as, as you go into, as you leave sort of, you know, Jane Austen and some of those um, more well-known 18th century writers, um, some of our more well-known 19th century writers do kind of, um, you know, get a little bit more into, um, you know, the social justice side of things. And I mean, including Charles Dickens, who I I kind of love to hate, but, you know, to do him justice, he, um, you know, he had a a hard life. He worked in a factory as a kid. So, you know, his books um, were kind of trying to expose some of those things. But the the funny thing is, but, you know, there there were actually people in the 18th century writing about the, the seedier side of things, but, you know, they don't get published, <laughs> um, and, you know, it, today, and they don't get sort of, you know, taught in schools or, or get a lot of attention or, or circulated very widely. But, um, uh, you know, Samuel Pepys 
And I love that his last name is Peeps. It's spelled P-E-P-Y-S, but it's pronounced Peeps, which I think is um, just the greatest thing. Um, But he kept a diary for just years and years and years and years. And it's really quite famous. Um, I honestly haven't read the whole thing. But um, he does get into kind of a ridiculous amount of detail about everything, including, you know, his own um, uh, bodily functions, <laughs> um, you know, when and where he relieved himself <laughs> and that sort of thing. In addition to, I went to the theater and, you know, did all of these, um, you know, interesting things and saw these interesting people. Um, so if you, if you're ever super curious about, um, life in the 18th century from, from a firsthand word. point of view there, it does exist, but, um, Jane Austen certainly did not. <laughs> um, I, Irene has a, sorry, um, Irene has a very important statement. You yeah. will realize that uh, living in London, uh, the only people, aside from the, the coach people, the hackneys and that stuff, the only people that could actually afford to keep horses, it, it were, uh, there was a tax on how many horses you could keep on your property in London. So it was only the very well, it's the same as, uh, remember the salt tax and uh, the tax on glass, those kind of uh, taxes were uh, strongly influenced uh, who was able to bring a horse or set up a house or actually eat a proper meal because the the taxes on uh, those type of products that the uh, government, the crown actually controlled uh, dictated how people would live in London. This is Chanel. I think later on in the book, um, it refers to, you know, Jessamy not bringing his horse because he couldn't afford it. So I wonder if that's kind of dealing with that issue of taxation. There's a tax on horses living in London. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I thought it would refer to like, you know, renting out a stable and feeding it and stuff like that, but, but also a tax. It's kind of like the, um, the congestion, uh, tax that they that they have now, right? If you drive right. your car into London, yeah, you, have pay. you have to pay the extra fee. Yeah. Yeah. So historical precedent. Who knew? Okay, let's see. It's eight twenty six, I think. So we have a couple more minutes before we need to officially uh, wrap up. Um, we, we tend to be pretty good about finishing on time, so I don't want to break our streak. Um, any final Abitha, thoughts? Can I say something? Yes, yeah. So this has been a total pleasure of mine to host because everybody has been very respectful when they were done speaking, they've muted. And this has been a total pleasure for me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, this is an amazing group. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, these, these are great, wonderful group of people. I've been delighted to get to know them. So, yeah. Um, so, so we're supposed to read what through chapter 14 or 15 um, I, next week? I think it's 14 yeah I did the math it's sort of ridiculously wrong last week which I realized oh, the next day okay. I was like wow I I have a PhD English not math that's really <laughs> obvious <laughs> can't divide 28 by four good heavens <laughs> they're not in second grade didn't I um so yeah so I think it's seven chapters a week so it would be okay um, All right. yeah the next week I'll, yeah <laughs> Uh, so we'll see how um what develops next um any any final thoughts anybody who has been waiting till the last minute to get their two cents in i don't know i don't see any hands raised okay 
I just want to make sure people have an opportunity. Don't want anybody to feel left out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, for joining us um, here and and abroad. <laughs> people are, are listening on the ETV radio. Um, it has, as always, been a pleasure for me. Just so many great ideas and perspectives out there, and it's so great to to get to hear them. And um, you know, helps me think about the book in in a new and different way as well. So, hopefully, everybody got something interesting out of it, and we will read the next seven chapters over the coming week and um, then do a, a dive into that that chunk um, next Monday and uh, see what we see what develops, see what we have to say. More opportunities to meet the dog. Yes. <laughs> I love the oh, dog. It so very becomes very important. The blue, was it the blue? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, not the, uh, yes. Yeah. Not the Spanish uh, 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 collie, yeah, the Spanish yeah, collie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barcelona collie, yeah. <laughs> Good fun. <laughs> and that part, by the way, was true. Yeah. Actually, they did have cows in Green Park. Um, it, it's really funny to, oh, okay. to read the older books, and you know what we think of now as sort of being more or less central London at one point were sort of the more rural suburbs. Um, and then, you know, London grew to, to embrace them. Um, so yeah. you did have, um, you know. And they had women there milking the cows oh. and handing out glasses of milk. Oh, I oh. just went to spasms. All that stuff, yeah. About I know, all I could think of was, don't tell Louis Pasteur. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Okay, thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Everybody, thanks. Out of that, a real pleasure. Well, and until next week. Yes. <laughs>